Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm a journalist, author, interviewer and broadcaster. And there's one thing that many people in Ireland bless or curse me for, depending on how they feel about Garth Brooks. Dave Pennyfeather, who was once Garth's representative in Europe, said publicly at the launch of one of Garth's European tours that the interviews I gave Garth in an Irish rock magazine, the first major interview he gave to Europe, and subsequently on two occasions in the Irish Times, helped kickstart his phenomenal popularity in this country. I also made a one-hour radio documentary about the man, but whether all this had the slightest impact on his popularity in Ireland is not for me to say. Either way, what follows is the first of the interviews Garton and I did for the Irish Times. And in it, I love especially the generosity he exhibits when he praises Irish singer-songwriter Mick Handley, who was probably best known as a result of Hal Ketchum's version of his song, Past the Point of Rescue. This podcast certainly is a snapshot of a time when Gart Brooks arguably was the most popular singer in Ireland. If you want to read the articles I wrote about Garth, check out my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com. Hi, Joe Jackson here again. I thank you for listening to this edition of the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast. And as I say, if you want to read any of the articles I wrote about Garth, check out my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com. Hello. You're speaking to Joe Jackson? Sure, Hello there. Doing all right? Yep, uh, we spoke once before. Yes, you're good to talk to you again. All right, I did you then for a rock magazine. Yes. Okay. So is this not for the same thing? No, what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm doing a weekly feature for the Irish Times, which is kind of on an arts page, heavyweight, the top newspaper in the country. All right. So th- this is your first feature in that paper. All right, are you happy doing that? I love it. I love it because I'm getting things like country or new musics in that weren't previously recognized as art by snobs over here. You know what I mean? Congratulations on your part and thanks from us for uh, getting some other kinds of music in there. I appreciate it. Okay. All right. So I'm going to actually, I've got some stuff that I didn't use from the last interview, so I can go straight in where we left off. Okay. Um, firstly, I do want to uh, give you belated congratulations to you and Sandy for the birth of Taylor. Thank you. She is perfect. <laughs> well, I expected that. Okay, but the last quote you left me with was, when the child is born, I'm going to bust my ass to be a great dad. Yeah. Yeah, and have you? Are you? Well, no. I mean, I, I, if, I was, if I was Taylor, I'd probably want someone else as my dad. But to tell you the truth, man, I, I can honestly look at myself in the mirror and say, I'm doing my best. If my best is shit, that's another thing, but I am doing my best. Right, right. We talked, I am coining an idea from unanswered prayers. But remember you said that you, you had at one point said to, to God, don't let us lose this baby because you had been often saying, I'm not ready for this. Right. Has the whole process kind of eased that guilt and made you say, well, thank you, God, for giving me the... the oh, it, man, yeah. I, yeah. It's, do you have kids? I don't, no, not yet. It's, um, it's something that every guy will tell you and you just don't, you know, you're like, yeah, yeah, right, okay, whatever, you know. But when it happens, man, it's just like it's you kick yourself in the butt for for actually putting your life on the line in the past right. and trading everything for what you thought was important. Sure. And now you realize this is what's important. Right. You know, it's, it's this little breathing creature or character that looks so much like you right. that you just can't help but cry every time you see it. And it's like, yeah, man, I... I, I'm very thankful that we didn't lose. And uh, if I could have a hundred more just like her, I'd take them in a second. 
music. Could you write, you know the way you said you can't help but cry, how about you can't help but write? No. You know, I have never been a guy that that has written from a real inside close point of view. Right. You know, I If Tomorrow Never Comes was a song that I claimed I wrote for my wife, but it was a song that I just basically wrote and later on, after listening to it for two or three years, realized, wow, you know, I, I do feel that for me. Right, but it wasn't a conscious uh, motivation. I've never been a guy that could do that. I've tried to write right. with my mother since I started playing music and never have been able to. So it's, um, it's, a, it's not a thing for me to write from inside close. Sure, right. We also talked last time about how you hoped, I think you said at the time then you were touring like now, that you had to get back in touch with everyday life so you could sing from that point truthfully. Right. How, how, do you still feel about the same about that now, and have you not been removed from that because your success has jumped even ever higher since we talked? Well, it's, um, it's amazing. This, this little girl has changed my life, and now I, you know, to her and to my wife, at three in the morning when everyone's, you know, upset because they haven't slept in three days and she's crying, it's like, hey, you aren't, you know, this this guy that's this artist. All right. That people, I mean, you're a regular kind of guy. Get your ass in there and change that diaper and, <laughs> and stop that baby from crying so we can get some sleep. And it's like, yeah, man, I'm back in the, I'm back in the mold of, of an everyday guy now. Right, right. So, best for his daughter and his wife. Is that your answer? Because since we last talked too, I've seen you on the cover of Forbes and you've been described as a country multi-millionaire. Yeah. Is there anybody saying, how the hell can he write about the soul of the common person when he's up way up there financially? You know, uh, the people, I think the people that, that know GB or know me, mm -hmm. I think probably realize that uh, money has never really meant anything to me if I didn't have it or now that I do. Right. You know, it's it's I've always been what I am and that's and that's a guy that's that's going for goals and is competing and whether he has money or not has never really played a role on how I felt about myself. Right. Right. You know, I never looked at myself as a bum when I didn't have money and I don't look at myself as somebody that's successful now that Sandy and I do have you know, a rich bum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that competitive spirit in you? You know the way people have said of you, you're not the stereotypical kind of... Uh, you've seen the Chippendale singers come along now. It's part of your edge, the drive to say, I don't care if I don't look like you're supposed to look, if I'm not supposed to be the age you're supposed to be, I'm just going to... That sharpens it and makes me try even harder. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think what's very, very important here, all successes in all walks of music, no matter, it's never been age, looks... It's been the song. Right. And that makes me feel good, man, that there's a chance for everybody, no matter how you look, no matter how old or young you are. But if songs are there, you're going to be all right. But isn't that more true of country music than of anything else? Um, I don't know. Do you know? How old is Billy Joel? Um, how right. old is John? Right. You know, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, stuff like that. It's like, look at these guys still out there, you know, with just killing them with new material. Well, it's also if you can echo the feelings of the people you're singing to and for, you've got it. I have to agree with you 100%. Right. Tell me, is there any kind of... I talked to Shay Healy, who has your interview here on TV next week. Right. And 
he read it. Is there any kind of backlash? He read a quote to me from some article which started getting at you saying the closest Garth ever came to country is sniffing it. What is that? Is that a backlash from, from smart asses or what? I don't know. Um, it's like an anti that saying your city slicker came to country. I don't know. I, uh, hmm. If he told me that during the thing, I've forgotten it. Oh, right, right, okay. Right now, it just shot through me like a bullet, you know? Really? And it's like, yeah! It's, yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, I would like to know... Where it came from. Well, yeah, for one thing, to see if it does have credibility. Right, it, right. It is somebody that has grown up... Okay. ...in country music and has something to say, then I must look at it in a different light. Right. It's, if it's like 99% of the people that review music, people that tried it at one time and, you know, failed at it, so that's why they're reviewing it, um, doesn't, you know, it does those things don't affect what, Well, is there any kind of... I talked with Shay. I'm also doing a big country feature for that rock magazine at the same time. And we were talking about it like an anti-intellectual thing. Do you have to downplay a university education? Maybe more so because it's in marketing. Because you're in country, because you're afraid people, your audience might feel alienated. No, I, I don't. Um, right. I uh, I have noticed during doing phoners for this world tour to set it up. Right. It's um, it's not Ireland, but there are countries that have looked at me and and said that country music is a redneck music. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a it's an ignorant music. Sure. Sure. It's like. No, man, that's what it was when you gave up on it 25 years ago. Yeah, it's yeah. It's not that way now. And it's like, you know, uh, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a tough call, Joe, because, you know, all your life your dad has told you, look, there's going to be dumbasses out there. Yeah. And you're going to make a decision whether you continue to let them be dumbasses because you don't care about them or you spend the time to educate them for their better purpose right right and, um it's just it's one of those things man we just bite your lip and say no i can't walk away from this and let them keep thinking about country music what they think sure sure i've got to go in at least and show them what i do and if they still think that about country music well then i've done my job and, and i can't help them well one thing one thing shay did say that a lot of people over here feel and it won't be just rock fans it's kind of readers of the irish times you know the way you will sing something like wolves which reflects the concerns of poor people Right. Yeah, but then they say that all country stars are still at the beck and call of the political rulers that made people poor in America. So what is that? Hypocrisy. You know what I mean? They will get up and sing for maybe President Bush or somebody who has people poor or a system that has people poor. Is that not contradictory? Well, man, I don't see how you can blame one guy for the shape of the United States. Yeah, that's why I took that back. I mean, the, the political structure. Yeah. Um, well, one, you know, you you admire who is in that seat simply for who is in that seat uh, mm -hmm. to the president of the United States. And when you look at all the people that have been president, well, then that's kind of like an honorable position. Okay. So you respect them simply for being in that position. But, um, you know, as far as playing for them, that's, that's the same as playing. These same people that go and play for these political people are the same people next week that'll play for hungry children. Okay. And if you're going to report the political end that you're playing for, right. All a favor and report where they played the week before and the week after too. Right. So would you try and achieve that balance if you had to sing for whoever the candidates are, Clinton, Bush, and then sing for your regular audience? Oh well, for one thing, I I wouldn't have to sing for them. It would be a choice of mine. Oh, I see. Right. Right. Uh, 
you know, because uh, I have been asked to play at the White House yeah. a couple of times, and it just haven't worked with my schedule also with the fact that I would be scared to death for the President of the United States. So, um, well, too, why? Too, too, too big a gig? It's just, it's, it's the President of the United States. Man. Right. I got I mean, again, look at the people that have filled that position. Okay. And no okay. matter how you feel about who's ever in it now, he or she is still the President of the United States. Okay, Garth, I'm coming up to two last questions. Is that okay? Sure, man. Okay. uh, Shay said that you have changed the nature of country concerts, like you've brought in that. I saw the live thing where you're smashing the guitar on the Billy Joel, and it's very exciting. Is there any fear that you might... A lot of people say the worst thing about rock is that it's become a spectator sport, where the people just go along and watch in awe, and they don't feel as connected to the performers as they used to. Would you not be afraid of that happening? I'd say it's a good point. Um... Sure, any time you take something yeah. start on a road, the road could go too far. Right. Um, but you'd be aware of it. Yeah, I think I think that's what you got to do, is you got to listen to keep your ears open, and if you are getting out there too far, yeah. try and fix it. If you don't, you burn out your market like, you know, 99% of people in history have. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, sure, man, I think anything that is a threat... Uh, to one music that you've been influenced by, if that influence carries over to your music, then it becomes a threat to your music as well. Right, okay. The last question is, I interviewed Sam Phillips. You know he? Sam Phillips. He's the guy who discovered Elvis. Oh. Right? I interviewed him this week, and he was talking about how there's nothing new in country music and suggesting that the echoes go back to Irish settlers setting up home in the Appalachian Mountains. I know your mom comes from Cork, does she? Well, mom's... uh Roots are... Yeah, the roots are from there. Would you be have any... Or, I mean, are you starting the world tour here? Um, no, we're not starting it. Though. Right, but you are here in February or something. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Would you Would you have any awareness of Irish music on the, on that level or be aware of... I mean, some would perceive the old sadness in the voice and the echoes and that. Any of that in a lineage or is it just coincidence? You know, um, here's, here's going to be a thing that maybe you can answer. There's a gentleman by the name of... I'm going to get his name wrong, but... Mick, um... Hanley? Hanley. Yeah. Um, me and that guy's music get along great. Right. I mean, I enjoy listening to that guy's stuff probably more than 90% of the stuff I hear over here. Like past the point of rescue and such? Well, it was Hal Ketchum that gave me his two CDs. I see, right, right. So he said, I think you really need to hear this guy because he's got something to say. Right. I listened to him and, and... I thought, man, uh, what he's saying here, if you take away the accent yeah, and you just put America, I mean, an American thing, then it's like, this is what I do. Well, what, though, is it? The, he he kind of gives visions of love that are a little bit uh, torn, a little bit stretched, and, you know, dark-hearted love, love that goes wrong. I mean... It also could be summed up in one word. It's real. Right. You know, I mean, how many people know the Cinderella story as compared to, you know, the first half of the Cinderella story? Right, right, right. Well, I think we're talking here about the universality of of the feelings we all have. Sure. Whether you're Japanese, American, Irish, or what? I think you're hitting it right on the nose, man. The fact that that we look different or talk different doesn't mean that that we feel, you know, the, the real aspects of life that we don't all go through. Right. Okay, Garth, I know you got to go. You have a very tight, tight schedule. So it's nice talking to you again. So is there any chance you might do an old uh, Mick Hanley song or anything? Well, uh, 
oddly enough, uh, one of his songs inspired uh, me to write a song on, that's on the new album. Great. And uh, the new album's called The Chase, but the song off of it is called That Summer. And uh, I'm sure if this Mick gentleman hears it, he'll know what song inspired it. Great. Well, I'm sure he'll also be inspired by that himself. Well, I was just, I was really fired up by his uh, two CDs, and I, I was real, real happy. And, and again, anything that inspires you, right. the writer knows that inspired you, that that's probably the greatest compliment. Well, the man's been working for nearly 20 years to try and get established, so I know he need. I've interviewed him. I know he needs that kind of boost himself. Well, I just, I think he, you know, needs to understand that this is solely my opinion, but okay. put all the writers in the world together, he's easily up in the top 99% of them. Okay, you're a very generous person, Garth. Well, tell him hey for me. I will do that. Okay. And uh, talk to you maybe again. Thank you very much. Bye-bye, bye. Hi, Joe Jackson here again. I thank you for listening to this edition of the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast. And as I say, if you want to read any of the articles I wrote about Garth, check out my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com.